Welcome back for another week of the Night Shift Football Podcast. It's episode 140 this week. The Prem took a leaf out of the AFL's book and did a split round because, you know, got to squeeze the League Cup in. Spain and Germany returned to action. There was a Super Cup in Saudi Arabia and the Socceroos kicked off their Asian Cup campaign with a big win over the mighty India. Alrighty, let's go for another week. Uh, Tommy's here. How you doing, man? Say hi to the lovely Good. listeners. Good. Hi. Evening. How are you, man? Oh, excellent. Excellent. Uh, Cooper, say hi, man. You're, you're back from Sydney. Good. Hi. Evening. How are you, man? Yeah, did you just... Okay. <laughs> what, are you trying to throw me off? Trying to throw we me off fuck, here. We got an echo in here. Um, Cooper's turned into a parrot for the evening. He came back from Sydney with bird flu. Let's talk. Usually, we would be going through... Uh, this would just be a Euro episode, these green ones, but... We do touch on international football. We love the World Cups. Famously, on this pod, Tommy, you picked Zambia to win the Women's World Cup. Um, so didn't quite, didn't quite, yeah, didn't quite come to fruition, but but I love the ambition. Um, but there's an Asian Cup on right now, which means the Socceroos are playing there in action. They got their tournament started on Saturday night with a 2-0 win against the mighty India. Let's start with this game. Um, I want to hear, I guess, firstly, Tommy, just run me through your thoughts on it, really. Um, are you like performance over result or would you rather have seen, you know, a, a better performance than what we put out or are you just happy to get the win? Uh, I'm torn because I thought, like you said, mighty India as like a joke, but they were, they were pretty good. I thought they were defensively. I thought they were sound. They did what they needed to do against yep. our kind of blunted one dimensional attack. Yep. And I really, I thought their press was really good in the wide areas. Like it just, it nullified Boyle and Goodwin to a point where you were like, Jesus, we actually really need to make some subs here. And I yeah. never thought I'd be watching a ruse match thinking we got to get Craig Goodwin off. I thoroughly agree with all of that, I think, pretty well. Uh, Cooper, what about you? Yeah, um, Craig dropped a stinker against the Indians. Um, and I think it was probably the best time to get it out. But <laughs> I don't know why you've laughed at that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just I'll, you, if you have, if you haven't meant that, that's genius. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we've sent him. He knew what he was doing. Cooper knew what I he was didn't doing. Know he what I was doing. He's got it written all caps, like forty-eight point. Oh <laughs> uh, no, that's all right. We can do some editing if needed. Anyway, how <laughs> good one, bad. Yeah, not great. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Um, but no, I thought the lineup was pretty pretty poor. Um, and I'm not going to slander Arnie for it because I think it's a, a learning curve. And if he manages to to not produce it again in the tournament, then it, it's probably a good thing. Um, part of it could be that playing India, who are obviously the weakest team in this group, that Arnie yeah. played what is his rotation lineup in the first game, as yeah. weird as that sounds and looks. Um, yeah. But I don't think as his bay, it should be starting over over Yodi Bose going forward. And I don't think we'll ever see a Keanu Bacchus, Jackson Irvine midfield against a low block ever again either. No, definitely not. It kind of looked like a lineup you would play against Japan in the semis without maybe Gethin Jones. You think? Really? Ish, I think. Ish, I think maybe you wouldn't be as attacking with Jordi Bosa left back, and so Bayich would get a gig. Um, but that you know the low block, India didn't look threatening, did they? So I guess it worked to that extent. Well, India were never going to be threatening. I think that's the point. It was more <laughs> the 
the lack of creativity that the Socceroos <laughs> provided and the the game was there was tweets and all everyone could see it from a mile away that the game was sort of screaming out for for Riley McGree because it, the Socceroos midfield really need a midfielder that was going to break the lines playing against the low block and and Bakasurvine and Metcalf weren't going to provide that. Um, and then Jordi Bos mm. as well obviously came on and got his goal, so it's easy to say in hindsight, but he was always going to provide a little bit more of attacking flair than Azaz Bayic was. Oh, for think, sure. Um, oh, yeah, you go, Sammy. I was just going to say, it's one of those things, if you we look at our, the entire time of Graham, Graham Arnold's uh, coaching of the Socceroos is something we've always talked about is just our ability. I, I liken it to West Ham in the sense that we can get results against big teams um, because we can hit on the counter. You know, we we have kind of weapons in that regard. Uh, but when we do have the ball and we play against a team that's going to let us have the ball like India did, we just didn't seem to have enough about us that was creative. I think we do in the squad. I just don't think Arnie necessarily uses it. Um like getting getting Riley on, obviously, like hindsight, brilliant. We needed someone getting in between the lines there. Someone really creative going forward. But otherwise, India letting us have the ball and we just we just didn't know what we were doing. You know? We were going side to side, kind of just putting these weird crosses in, not really not really breaking them down. To India's credit, like you said before, Tommy, they were defensively pretty sound. Um, they had the one guy, I can't remember his name, he got the cut on his head got bandaged up and he just like, he was everywhere, just blocking everything and getting it in everyone's faces, winning headers. But yeah. That was good performance by India. Um, and that will be like buoyed by this, which maybe that was the plan all along was to kind of give him a false sense of belief to go out and knock off, you know, Uzbekistan, hopefully. That's not a plan. <laughs> we don't go into games planning to give the other team self-belief. It's not a Look, thing. Arnie is a madman. I, I don't know if I trust him or not. I'd like... We went through that stage on this, Sammy, where we would just like hate on him relentlessly. And then he had a good World Cup where it looked like he kind of, this is the idea, is that we're going to play like this and we're going to get results and it's going to be fun and you're going to feel good watching World Cup again. But then you come back to the Asian Cup and you're like, God damn it, we really need to be able to play football through certain periods. Yeah. Enough to win games like this maybe more comprehensively. I, yeah, yeah, I just agree with everything. Boss and McGree changed the game. And as much as I loathe to say it, like Fornaroli looks like a good option. There's talk, there's chat whether or not to start Fornaroli and bring on Duke to bust him up late, or do you just want Duke to take all the hits to begin with and then bring Fornaroli on? Tired, more tired defense. The, His movement is very good. The the problem in this game in particular and against low blocks was this midfield and the lack of creativity we had in terms of other outlets going forward, rather than. Virtually all we did, and we saw it against we saw it against Bahrain, was the midfield didn't provide anything going forward other mm. than keeping the ball for a little bit, finally getting the ball to either a winger in Martin Boyle or Craig Goodwin, and asking them to pick out Mitch Duke in the box. And we got lucky yeah. with an own goal of Craig Goodwin cross, and then we got a scenario where we got a ball over to Craig at the back post, and we could get one back across to Duke. But you know that's a, a warm up friendly game where Bahrain they were trying things, practicing structure, but they were also going forward a little bit themselves and seeing what they could create in 
in terms of comparison to an Indian team that were not going forward at all and mm. were more than happy to come out of this with a nil or draw because when you're India, that's how you survive in a tournament like this in, yeah. in games against teams like Australia. So yeah. feeding the ball wide to Martin Boyle and Craig Goodwin and asking them to pick Mitch Duke out in amongst seven Indian defenders is is not going to work. And it's not a discredit to Boyle, Goodwin or Duke. And I think it would be a panicked decision to be starting Bruno over Mitch Duke. Yeah, I think yeah, I yes. tend to agree. Duke's got the runs on the board now, and we we spent a long time hating the fact that he was the go-to choice, but we have to eat our words a bit now. He has earned that. I think we did on this pod. We mm-hmm. ate our words a bit after some of the recent tournaments and stuff. His work rate's brilliant. It'll he'll he'll come in handy against some of the better teams, I think. Um and I know I, I agree with you, it doesn't really look good for Boyle, Goodwin, or Duke. I still think I know it's hard for them to pick a cross in amongst all that, but they were still, they weren't even close. They just had a yeah. bad night, I think, both of those yeah. guys. Um, Anonymous at large periods of it. Yeah. I know, like you said, tough ass picking out Duke in that crowd of Indian players in the box, but they were not even near it. Um, we should have just thrown Sutar up top. Just throw him in there, win the ball. Um, Why not? Yeah, I think for me, after this game, I was watching this game and it, people were getting, we were watching a bit of a group, and I know people were getting frustrated, as you do, because. Um, you come out in a game like this and you kind of expect Australia to win by a lot. And it just it feels a little disrespectful, I guess, to your opposition. But we probably are a team that has the players that is capable of completely dismantling the side and beating them comprehensively. Uh, but I think at this stage in a tournament, it's, you know, first game, three points, probably the most important thing. And um, so, yeah, we'll just, we'll just take it and roll with it. Yep. It would just, if they could have complemented the result, even if it's 2-0, but we looked more threatening and more, uh, I just, more purposeful, I think. I, w- I would have felt way better. So I think that's where the frustration comes from. Yeah, definitely. Um, who do we have next? We have Syria on Thursday night, I believe. We play Syria, mm. 10 o'clock kickoff. So nice time. Good friendly fixture times at the moment till we get later in the tournament and they get a bit later. Uh, do you guys have anything else from this Socceroos opening game? Uh, we haven't really, I think people were maybe expecting us to shit on Arnold a bit, but we haven't quite got there this week. We'll give him the, he got the win. Yeah. Reserve judgment for a second. Yeah, yeah he definitely. did enough. Did enough, got it done. Um, I still think there's plenty to like about this squad at the moment. And I think we'll go deep. Uh, another side that'll probably go deep. We won't talk too much about it, but just quickly, Cooper, you had an eye on this one with me last night. Japan, Vietnam, <laughs> Japan conceding, and just as I turned it on, they had conceded, and then they went and conceded again. They found themselves two one down. Some of the worst keeping I've ever seen by uh, Zion Suzuki or Zion or Zion Suzuki yeah. in goal for Japan. Uh, but Takumi Minamino, former Liverpool manager, ran the show, didn't he? Yeah, really good. Um, and you're right, Zion Suzuki, born in uh, Arkansas in the United States of America mm. as well. So it's an interesting one for the Japanese national team. Mm. Um, no, nah, they were they were too good for Vietnam, and a few moments that they'll look back on and they won't yep. be won't be overly impressed with. But I think much like the Socceroos, they know that they were miles the better team in this game. And although they have one or two things to to figure out, they've got three points on the board, and that's where you have to start in a tournament like this. Yeah, definitely that uh, Kato Nakamura goal edge of the box in uh, virtually no space at all was just super sharp. This this Japanese team still looks super deadly. I, I was talking to Tom just off air before we started recording about them. Um, not so much going in for the kill on Vietnam, but in that second half, once they went in at halftime, three to up, that second half, they weren't really doing enough. They weren't at their best Japan, but their 
their half best was still good enough for Vietnam to barely lay, lay a finger on them or to get the ball. And Japan just kept the ball. Couldn't They weren't great in the final third, but they I think it'll come. They've got all the pieces there. I think, yeah, I think the concerning thing for other teams looking at this game is uh, Takafusa Kubo that we touched on last week only played the last six minutes of this game plus added time. Yeah. Uh, Kara Matoma is obviously still carrying that injury and won't be available till later in the tournament. And yep. then players like uh, Rayo Hatate and Dyson Maida from Celtic that would walk into 95% of starting 11s in this tournament were unused off the bench. So there's just an, I, an element of depth in this Japanese team. Yeah, and I'm not sure they will get used much. It's just, yeah, I, I, I just think that just shows what Japan have in comparison to what a lot of the rest of this tournament does. Yeah, absolutely. Their, their depth is crazy. Um, keep an eye on them. Um, should we talk Premier League? You guys ready for some Premier League footy? There was only five games over the weekend. It's, a, it's the split round that they do uh, just to give them a bit of a break, you know, so we can squeeze in all those League Cup games that are super, super important, like two-legged semifinals. Um, but the first game of the round this week was a Burnley v Luton, uh, an otherwise kind of nothing one-all draw between two, two of the lower teams in this league. But not without the controversy, the late equaliser for Luton uh, was somehow awarded and not disallowed, Cooper. Yeah, a uh, little bit of contact from Adebayo on Burnley keeper James Trafford. Um, it's a it's a foul for me. I think it's less if, if Trafford comes and Adebayo stands his ground and, and Trafford initiates the contact, then then sure. I'm happy to, to see it let let go and and the goal to stand, but. I think you can you can see that Adebayo knows he's not getting to the ball and he just motions towards James Trafford here. Yeah. And and I'm not actually convinced that Trafford is getting near this ball if Adebayo doesn't foul him. So it might have been one of those unnecessary ones. But yep. I think one, once he has, it just has to be a foul. I tend to agree. Mm, I mean, that's what Shay Given said post-game, is that um, about Trafford maybe not getting to the ball, he didn't move with like enough force and pace in order to actually come and collect that ball, uh, which is kind of why I think it should be play on. Because if the keeper's going to come, you flatten them. Like, they've got the freedom to do so. We've seen it happen all season long. Keepers can just come out and knock people to next year if they need to. And so that that should be the trade-off. Like, if the keeper doesn't flatten anybody, then he's fair game to interfere with. Yeah, great call. Just, like, with a chair? Should he run out there with a chair or a bottle? Or Is he allowed a weapon? Bar? Yeah. A bucket? I think I noticed, like I heard in the um, in the punditry after, they were using one of the reasons why it shouldn't be a foul is because the keeper got there too early, and he's in no man's land. But I like I don't see how that negates him. Like, what if someone runs up and punches the keeper at the other end? Is that a foul? Because like he's because he's in no man's land. He's not involved in the play. Like it's just ridiculous logic. Um, like you said, Coop. I think just just kind of silly. Uh, but they've gotten away with it there, Luton. And they probably deserved a point in the end after we saw that video. There's that video going around by Luton's TikTok showing the the Burnley keeper. What's his name? What's his name that no one cares about? James Trafford. James Trafford. Just grabbing the ball and then taking a couple of steps and hitting the deck. Very Jota style, uh, but running a lot slower. <laughs> slower than me, even, Cooper. Um <laughs> But hitting the deck multiple times, and this is the sort of shit we've always hated on Burnley for in the past when Dice had him. The amount of time wasting that goes on. And I know they're 1-0 up, but you don't need to catch the ball, then take a few more steps and then go to ground. It's just ridiculous. So uh, kind of a bit of karma in the end. I don't mind that Luton got a result out of that. Same. Is that your kind of areas, Coop? Are you a grab the ball and hit the deck kind of guy? Oh, yeah. I'm a, I'm a hit the deck kind of guy, even if I haven't grabbed the ball. Um <laughs> 
I've had some shockers go my way over the years. Um, <laughs> no, I'm pretty well happy that this game was a draw on the basis that neither team won because these are two teams that I would be very happy to see go down at the end of this season because they are just awful watches, the pair of them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the next game, this was on, this started about halfway through the Australia game, but Chelsea beat Fulham 1-0 thanks to a Cole Palmer penalty. Uh, it, it was a penalty penalty. Uh, I'd say, um, gee, this game was not great. The only thing I guess worth mentioning is the Gusto red card, non-red card thing. We've seen a lot of these tackles. Tommy, I'll go to you in a sec here for this, but we've seen a lot of these tackles be given reds, which I think we've all come around to, uh, is that it? you just got to be careful about your studs because the game is so fast. People are going to nick the ball away from you. You're going to be exposed. You're going to land your studs on their ankle. And this one looked like a really bad one for William. I'm sure it hurt like hell. Um, yeah. but he got away. He got a yellow. And I guess I'm going to wrap it in with the context that the Dominic Cavett-Lewin one ended up being overturned on appeal by Everton. Mm. And so I guess on this pod, the three of us were in the camp that this is modern football now and the idea that uh, the, the referees are giving these reds because you shouldn't have to pretty much get your leg broken for it to be a red. We want to stamp out the act. Uh, but then the reversal of this red card to Carvert-Lewin and then Gusto not getting one just feels like we've moved in completely the, the wrong direction again. And I'd say we're all in the same camp of saying it. I don't care really. I don't really care too strongly which way we do this, but let's have it the same way for a whole season. It's just too inconsistent. Yeah, it's the contradictory nature of what we're seeing is that maybe they've thought they've overstepped the mark and they've wound it back in down. Um, I think we saw the Lewis Dunk one where he does get a fair chunk of the ball. Um, yep. It does follow through, but the studs, was was he booked at all? Or was I can't booked? remember. It does. It just feels like the Forest guy getting sent off has been a turning point in this and they're, they're maybe going to try and just walk it back a little bit. How much of the ball did Gusto get? You know, I think that should be the question is if you do get there first, if you judge how much of the ball they've actually gained and how much of the tackle is in control. And then if you do collect the studs, if you do go over the ball with your studs and collect the opposition player, then that's a decision to be made. It's not so much just have they hit this person in this area. That's a red card. Yes and no. I mean, Malo Gusto got sent off earlier this season in the Premier League for a tackle that in which he got more of the ball and less of the man, and it was probably less dangerous of a tackle, and he saw red for that, missed three games, and then, you know, gets off of a red card here for a tackle, which is probably worse. And and I still just think in my eyes they're both red cards, and I think that the Dominic Calvert-Lewin red card being overturned is such a dangerous game to play because you're now... You're you're saying to me that Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who is off the ground, studs up, makes contact with a guy halfway up his leg, sorry, between his foot and his knee, halfway up his leg, that's not a red card. You are saying to me that unless I break someone's leg in half, then I'm not getting sent off, that I'm not getting suspended. And it's just terrible. That's not how we play football. Yeah, definitely. Um, It's definitely shifting Mm. so much and it's ever-changing at the moment. We seem to have gone so hard one way and now they're kind of reeling it back. Um, I don't know if you have anything else... Sorry, Tommy, go on. I was going to say there's a certain irony in the fact that we've only really seen one bad leg break so far this season, and it was the Sheffield United captain, and it was in a perfectly fair and legal challenge. Yeah. Well, maybe it's because they're stamping out the tackles. Who knows? Couldn't tell you. 
Anyway, I don't think there's That's anything the, else worth talking about it. from this game of football. It was pretty ordinary. In the end, um, Chelsea were just kind of clinging on uh, with their 1-0 lead. How about this one, though? Newcastle 2, Man City 3. I've got to tell you, from an Arsenal perspective, you're looking on at someone like Alex Isak and just thinking, geez, why couldn't we? Why couldn't we grab someone like that if Gabby's never going to be fit rather than sitting around and watching Enkedia every second week? Um, but he's pure class. Unfortunately, not enough to get the job done. KDB came back for City and just did KDB things almost immediately. Yeah, didn't he? Uh, a little bit terrifying from a perspective of two guys that support the teams that are seemingly the two teams within the title race. With oh, we're dust, mate. Um, <laughs> he was being so kind. I was. Then. I was being inclusive. <laughs> Come on. like We're dust. No. Um, but great game. I mean, credit to Newcastle. They threw everything at this. And I enjoy another scenario of I enjoy teams being offensive and attacking Man City because they've showed so many times that they're they're vulnerable at the back and that they can concede goals. And the, the Alexander Isak goal is just, it's all class from, from Isak. Yeah. He's done so well the way he manoeuvres his body to then just you sort of turn inside and shoot. And then Anthony Gordon scored in a very similar fashion not long after. A bit further um, out. And the, the common denominator in these two incidents were both times Kyle Walker just stood up in front of the forward in both of these moments, he didn't make a decision whereas to to drop back and try and block or to to commit and, and make them make a pass or make a decision or try and try and win the ball. He just he just waited to see what they were going to do rather than moving first. Mm-hmm. And he was punished on both occasions. And I think it was really poor defending from him both times. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a bit going on in Carl Walker's life at the moment, guys. Maybe we can cut him some slack. I'm going to let him off a teeny bit. In, I, I don't think he defended well there, obviously. Uh, but... Sometimes just like maybe maybe this is more so just at the Premier League level, I guess. Just you're gonna get punished for that. A lot of those chances aren't like what's the XG on a chance like that? You know, like oh now he wants to know. Now I want to know <laughs> XG. Like um sometimes you just gotta stand the guy up if you're gonna make him shoot from the edge of the box. Like uh, I think particularly Gordon's maybe not Ishaks, he needed to do more for Ishaks, but Ishak was just too good. Um and then the Gordon one is a bit further out, it's more like edge of the box territory, isn't it? And then like he's he's hit it perfectly. It's a perfect finish. Sometimes you just can't really do a whole lot about them. Um, KDB though coming on straight away that goal. He comes on and just passes it in the net. I'm a bit dirty. Speaking of defending dirty, uh, the Newcastle. If you're just going to back off KDB on the edge of the box and let him have time to shoot, and he just literally rolled this one into the net from outside the box, where it looked like so easy and carefree from him. And then he picks out the assist for Oscar Bob, which was also a classy finish and a brilliant ball. The Kevin De Bruyne goal in this game, is it's a great goal, but it's such an ugly-looking goal because it's so awkward to be shooting right-footed. It looks wrong side, with, doesn't it? With no power on this angle. And, and it, if you watch it from a... Just a neutral perspective. I think there's a lot of people that were asking the question of Dubrovka in this incident, but he's got no chance. This is an unbelievably yeah. top quality upper echelon finish from Kevin De Bruyne. And he just has showed time and time again, you know, like he's such a threat and they've missed him so much. And we said earlier in the year a few times that we thought perhaps that Erling Haaland had missed Kevin De Bruyne so much. And when both of them get back on the pitch, there's there's questions whether anyone really can stop this team again. Mm. Oh, I, I don't think there's any questions, are there? I, they motor to the league title. If KDB is going to do this now, refreshed, recoup from his injury, he's got like four months now to just go wild. He's come back in tip-top nick. I really like the goal. Um, again, it's so frustrating because Newcastle showed that 
they didn't need to have the ball to threaten against City. They were they were so it was like a coercive control almost the way that they let them come at them and then repelled them and tried to hit them on the counter and even force their own good moves open occasionally. And so for them to allow KDB to just waltz into that space, all it takes is one little lapse and, you know, they got the quality to, you know, absolutely yeah. demolish them. I think a, a frustrating watch right now in Newcastle, if you're a Newcastle fan, like they're down to 10th now. They're Chelsea have just gone ahead of them this week. But like, just in the sense that they have they've had so many winnable games that they've not shown up in and played poorly in but then they have games like this where they have played well against one of the bigger sides and not got a result and it's just kind of, it's like I feel like just put your eggs in one of the baskets play really well against the shit teams make sure you beat them and then you can cop the L's against against the poorer teams so it it'll just be super frustrating i guess if you're a Newcastle oh, fan exactly. right now they got this they got the second worst form in the league at the moment four defeats on the trot um, this could be a Champions League hungover, but like you said, they're just so close to jagging points or actually three points out of out of games. It should turn around, you would think, if they keep up these kind of performances, though. Yeah. Um, Everton played Villa in a nil-all draw on the Sunday night, and I don't know if either of you watched this. I had it on, but yeah. real grim. Not not a whole yeah. lot to it. Yeah, the uh, only it, Villa I'm watching now is Gombau's under-21s. It, it happened. Pretty much. That's, yeah, it that's did happen. The only incident I really want to kind of mention is there was a, a nice goal from Moreno for Villa that was ruled out, I think correctly ruled out by VAR. Um, the talking point from it, I guess, is that the VAR check took fucking forever. Like, it took forever. And what was really concerning is in the end, they just, I guess, because there's an offside in the build-up out wide, but there's also a clear... Blatant foul in the middle, I think, from Longley, who is not letting, I, I don't know if it's Ducore, there's an Everton defender who can't get out because Longley is just fouling them and just holding them in uh, as the goal goes in. So um, I don't know why it took them so long. I don't know why they can't just look at it and say, fuck the offside. We don't need to draw the lines because there's a clear foul here anyway, so let's just give the foul. Like This is this just comes back to just using common sense and having a feel of the game because it's a clear foul. We don't really need to check the offside again and again unless unless the concerning thing is they don't think that was a foul. Mm. That, that was going to be my question. Is that what they ended up giving it for? Or did they give they the gave the offside out wide, which mm-hmm. maybe yeah. they're using the argument is that the offside comes before the foul and so therefore it has to be the given as an offside but just yeah. get the game moving as a clear foul just let's get the check done mm. and move on either way it's a kick in the defensive third where referees pretty much they let the goalkeeper put the ball wherever they want anyway they throw it forward 20 meters and kick it so you know yeah i think the five and a half minutes was the rough length of this check and i think that crazy the- the negative point on this is that yeah, this to me fun. this is what var was for right villa have scored Yep, the referee, the if, if this was on the pitch, have given the goal. Yep. And then VR has got is, is allowed to come in and go, hold on, you've made a clear and obvious error here. Disallow the goal. Let's move on. So perfect yep. use of VAR. But when you take five and a half minutes to make a decision, people start to question if it's taking this long to make a decision, is it really clear and obvious? When yeah. in this scenario it was, yeah. but if it is clear and obvious and we can all see it straight away, then why does it need to take this long? Yeah. Yeah. That's what it's I mean. That's a like, great so- point. Because they're obviously not, it seems to me they weren't looking at the foul and they were just drawing all the lines to see if it was offside instead. And it was like, mm. 
they, you could, they kept showing the two guys sitting in the VAR box, pointing and looking at each other. And we're like, and even the commentators are like, what the hell are they doing? Like, what are they looking at? Just, just tell him <laughs> to get on with the game. Cause it's either way, it's no goal. Like it doesn't change anything. I, I and then it. the goalkeeper takes the ball and he kicks it like done. I saw a great comment on that. It's like, this is one of the first times we've seen that weird screen in screen visual of the incident yeah. played and the two dudes sitting in the booth looking like yeah. absolute fucking idiots pointing around, <laughs> not knowing what they were doing. If we're going to have this, why don't we just have the audio? Yeah. They're really, are they really that ashamed to, you know, every, yes. every, every week we see footballers do wrong things on football pitches and we get to watch them live it's, on TV. Why yeah, but we, we, gr- we grill them for it, though. It's pretty yeah, poor. But, but why do we have to see it? If you're not going to let us hear it, I don't want to look at them. I know. Half the time in the, it's like the opposite of like in the A-League. Half the time in the A-League, we're, we're just watching the referee standing there in the middle going, I don't know what's going on. He's waiting for so someone shit. to tell him. He's like, I've just been told to wait. And then we maybe get one or two replays. If it's a tight offside, we never get to see the lines until like 10 plays later. Um, yeah, really weird. Anyway, a nil-all draw that doesn't really help either of those sides. Um, the last game that was played this weekend was a decent one at Old Trafford between United and Spurs. Our boy, Raz- well, my boy, Rasmus Hoyland, got one. I'll, I'll keep defending him. I'll die on this hill. Someone has to. Someone has to defend the poor guy. And uh, the night shift, well, Cooper and I love this guy, Rashalison. Popped in another goal, Tommy. Rashalison. Tommy, oh. come on. Oh, redemption yeah. arc. Here He's he comes. But yeah. Uh, Hoyland also got an assist in this one. And uh, both sides, uh, will they be happy with a draw, either of these two? Spurs are. Um, and I think rightfully so there. If you look at the, they finally got, Andrew's got his Rolls Royce defense back that he, he put together this this back five, including Vicario. He handpicked this he, uh, Pedro Porro, Christian Romero, Mickey Van der Ven, and, and Destiny Udogi. This was what he wanted to build this team around, and he's finally got that back. But then a midfield of of Oliver Skip, Pierre Emil Hoiberg, and Rodrigo Bentancur, who have not all been first choice midfielders for Ange, still shows that they are lacking some serious depth with injury issues right now. And then their captain and their pride and joy and outside of Harry Kane, the best player they've had in the last decade, Son Heung-min unavailable at the Asian Cup. I think you're going to Old Trafford and and walking away with a point, especially after being behind twice. You're very happy with this when you are you are Tottenham. Um, but I do just think that this is more two points dropped for Man United. I think this was an opportunity they had to take to get themselves back towards the top six and the and the top four. They have to they have to beat a Spurs that are just struggling for depth at the moment. Yep. Yeah, they've got to beat a top 10 team, which they just refuse to do. And this was a golden opportunity. Like you said, that midfield is honking. That's uh, like, I've got nothing on Skip. And I think Bentecourt is not too bad, actually, but Hoiberg, oh my God. He's just not exactly an Ange player, is he? And so it doesn't really fit the philosophy that he's trying to exercise. I really like um, uh, what Rashford's performance in this game. I thought maybe back to something of his best, I guess. Like, it was a nice run to set up. Uh, yeah, the what what is his then, best? Like, what's his... What's well, prime rushing on him? What was that? About 18 months ago where he was scoring most weeks, cutting inside from wide, just being a general nuisance. But for like a month or so at a time, it feels like. Mm. I don't know. Uh, it's clearly in there somewhere, but... He just doesn't deliver it enough, does he? He's no, not an every week match winner, is he? No. Max Rashford's best is is chronically overrated, and that's probably half because 
majority of our footballing and Premier League media that we get in Australia comes out of England and the yeah. English press love an English footballer and potentially if he wasn't English, he wouldn't have been given nearly as many chances by the press as, as he has been. Um, this Tottenham side, though, with with Richarlison and, and Timo Werner in it now too up front, yeah. this is a this is a great team for me to watch. Um, I loved Timo prior to, yeah. to him coming to Chelsea when he was with Leipzig and, and I really thought that there was a player in there while he was at Chelsea and he potentially wasn't being used properly. And he, he still had his moments and it was like, it's going to come. And this is, for me, this is another one that's going to turn around under Ange and I'm excited to see you can add him, add him to the list of night shift players that we're rooting for hard. Yeah. Big you, agree. Big agree. You putting a bet on it, Sammy, how many goals are you going to score? What? A bet on with who? About what? <laughs> About how many goals Timo Werner can score this season. Did I mention on here that you still owe me a six pack for the Lewandowski <laughs> bet last season? <laughs> Oh, if I let's double I'm mentioning it and again. A, and, a, and, another, and another six because Craig Goodwin won player of the year and not Harvey Lopez. That's right. Oh, yeah. Fuck. That so, was a four, I'm sure of it. Let's so we just, make it a carton. Make, make it a carton. Yeah, let's make it a carton on whether or not uh, Werner scores five goals in the Prem this season. Sure. Oh. Uh, final note um, Timo Werner did get an assist for that last um, that last goal, but I don't want to take anything away from Ben Tanker because I think he is a good player and it was a nice goal, but. Uh, what you were saying before about United just um, dropping points in this game, goals like that, they cannot concede goals like that. And he's, his movement in the box is pretty straight line and no one gets near him. He just kind of walks through. And Johnny Evans barely even lifts a finger trying to defend it either. It's it's pretty bad. Um, but that kind of just kind of signifies where, where, where they're at right now, I guess, United. Yeah. Cool. I think we're done Premier League. That's it. Just the five games. Um. Cooper, do you want to run us through your game of the week this week? We, we didn't do we did Tommy's. Tom, your game of the week was Australia India. We covered that. Yeah, Cooper, yours yours was uh caught me off guard here. You surprised me by picking a Bundesliga game. Yeah, um, a pretty high up the table clash. Two teams inside the top six. Uh, Leipzig obviously inside the top four. They're gonna feel six. like yeah, they're gonna feel like they've dropped some some points in this game. Leipzig, yep. they they dominated Eintracht Frankfurt at home, albeit and. And they miss some serious chances. Um, Appender three or four opportunities. They're not on any other day. Probably scores, and it just it wasn't happ- happening for them at all. And they're going to be disappointed that they didn't at least get a point out of this. Uh, conceded really early too, seven minutes into the game, and it was just a ball from Nkunku overlapping at left back, put it into Kanaf at the back post, and it was just so easy. Yeah, former Dortmund uh, youth player, and then I think he. Had a couple of seasons. He just couldn't quite crack the team. About 22 now. Uh, Nauf, I think. Angskar Nauf. Um, yeah, scores an early goal. And that was pretty well lit for this one. Not not the most riveting game of the week. But on paper, I had it penciled in as well. It looked good. Um, just didn't quite deliver as German football so often does. Um, Borussia Dortmund, I just want to mention while we're doing Germany, Jaden because Jaden Sancho has gone back. And he popped up with an assist for Marco Royce in his first game. And so to me, that's like, you know... Sancho to Royce. Oh my God. I was just licking my <laughs> lips there. It was absolutely delicious. Yeah, um, just, um, on, on that go on. goal for Frankfurt, I, I had it down as Angstar North as well. And then I, I went back and had a little bit of watch the German highlights and they're actually calling him Angstar Knopf, which really Knopf. caught me off guard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's catch. Surely it's a, like a silent K. That's, that's what I was thinking. I, I thought it had to have been. Like now. <laughs> and it's an AU. Like. <laughs> Alf, I don't know. They just they can't make up their mind how they want to pronounce stuff over there. Um, It'd be like if, I, if my name was T. Thomas. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are you, yeah, what are you doing? Yeah, I know. Um, 
Leverkusen four points ahead in that league. Bayern still to play. They've got a game in hand um, in that at the moment. I was going to ask you guys about Spain. I don't know if either of you have been following. Uh, I don't know if we'll necessarily talk about the games, but Real Madrid beat Barca 4-1 in the Super Cup final this morning. Are you aware of why I'm calling it the final? Uh, no. Has it got it's something because, to do with it being in Saudi Arabia? No, it's because they sold well. They sold out their, their Super Cup to Saudi Arabia, which I think Italy has also done with their Super Cup. Um, sold Ooh, it to overseas. So the Super Cup is in Saudi Arabia, which it has been for the last few years, except four teams go over. And they play semi-finals and then the finals. So uh, Real Madrid beat Atletico five three in extra time last week to make it to the Super Cup final, and Barcelona beat Osasuna two nil. Um, and then they both so four teams went over to Saudi Arabia, so they could play three games, three games over there for the. Uh, it's all just uh, money TV deals. This is classic. This this comes from the owners of Barca and Real and the people that run La Liga, who are obviously pushing uh, Super League type stuff and that like doing whatever Real Madrid and Barcelona want to do for money. They'll yeah, do it. A, a, a lad that I used to play play my football with uh, back in juniors that plays for Bacala now. Uh, he's overseas at the moment and he tweeted this morning, I cannot believe that I'm in Barcelona for an El Clasico, but it's being played in fucking Saudi Arabia. And that was the first <laughs> time that I actually realised yeah. it was. Classic, yeah. Um, interesting stuff. I really, I really want to know how Osasuna got in there. I don't know how it works. They, I don't know it's if just, it's... They won it seem like the odd one out. I don't know if it's to do with, like, <laughs> who made the cup final last year or something or, like, or the cup semifinals last year and they take, like, the top two in the league and then the two highest cup teams that weren't Barca and Real. I have no idea. I'm not looking into it because they sold it out, so who cares? Spanish football also fuck? not high on my radar. Um, my game of the week was AC Milan and Roma in Syria, uh, an Italian night shift derby coup. Eat shit, I got you one. Um, Yassin Adli on the score sheet for Milan for the first time. One of those players that's been on their books for a bit, kept getting loaned out, uh, but is really highly kind of talked about as having a lot of a lot of technical ability and quality. So he came in, scored a nice goal. Giroud just keeps aging and getting better. He scored again, and he got an assist for the ceiling goal to Teo Hernandez. 3-1 win. Roma got one. Uh, with a penalty that made it 2-1 with 20 to go. Kept it interesting, but then Teo Teo Hernandez wrapped it up. Three points for Milan. Um, Yeah, Milan just kind of forming a little bit of a breakaway now with that top three. So we got into Juve, Milan. Um, The next is Fiorentina, who are eight points behind. So uh, a bit of a gap for the top three. Milan look kind of marooned in there at the moment. Like they look a little bit too abridged from the top two and just well clear of the chasing pack. Yeah, they're four points off of Juve, but Juve have a game in hand on them. Uh, Juve with that game in hand, if they win it, would be within two of Inter. So it's it's pretty tight up there. Napoli clawing their way back a little bit. They had a, a late winner on the weekend that's moved them up to seventh. Uh, but that loss for Roma is huge because that just kind of... They started this season so badly and then they clawed their way back and were right in the European spots and now they're ninth. Uh, but it's, it's pretty topsy-turvy and... There's a long way to go. We've still got, what, 18, 19 games still to go. So um, last thing I want to mention for Italy, I just want to get ahead of this before he moves to a big club. But uh, another, I think he's Belgium, another one, Joshua Zerkzee, his name is, that's Z-I-R-K-Z-E-E. 
Uh, sign him on your EA teams, on your FIFA teams. He plays for Bologna. He's a striker, kind of drops in deep as well. Um, but he's pure quality and he's just another one on a long line of Belgian Belgian kids that come through and, and light it up. But I think he'll be on a few big teams' radars and I wouldn't surprise but- me if we saw him in the Premier League soon. The first article that comes up when you search his name, three reasons why Joshua Zerksi should be Arsenal's top striker this month. Ah, oh, there you go. Let's get him. I'll, I'll take him. I'd love it. Um, yeah, he's just been, he's so good to watch. I keep tuning into Bologna games because he's playing. So there you go. That's my Italian rap. That's all we got. Uh, Tommy, you wanted to finish. You've got a bit of a situation uh, playing out in Reading of all places. Uh, it's sad times if you're a fan of former Premier League clubs in England's southeast, Reading, England's fifth or maybe seventh oldest club. I, I can't tell you for sure. It's historic is what I'm getting at. They're at the mercy of like a tyrannical owner at the moment. He's doing all he can to collapse this club. Uh, his name is Die Young Gay. Mm. He's been the owner since 2017. He quite literally wants the club to be liquidated. So his debts go with it because he owns Jeez. this like prime development land the club sits on under a separate protected company, a Beijing-based company. Um, This would all be hearsay and rumour if he hadn't already collapsed two clubs prior to owning Reading, which is what uh, he collapsed the club in Beijing, which was Beijing Renhe, and then a Belgian club, um, uh, KSV uh, Rosselaire. Okay. So two clubs just gone, dead. Yep. The EFL approved the purchase of the club when it was already banned from buying Premier League clubs. That That is astounding. (laughs) <laughs> I just how can the EFL it look at what the Prem's doing and say, you know what? I like this guy. Let's give him a chance. It astonishes me that, like, you know, we talked about the Everton thing with them losing points and the whole, you know, the amount of scrutiny that owners come under and for their spending and things like that and how strict they supposedly are with letting people buy football clubs and things like this still happen. Mm. Um, and then the, the fit EFL- and proper person's test. Yeah, and then it happens and, like, the AFL, it wouldn't surprise me if they came out and tried to punish Reading for it somehow and, like, take points off them and this guy just doesn't care. Like, he's like, fine. You know? Oh, well, this is the this is the best bit, Sammy. Here we Reading go. copped a six-point deduction in the Champo last season and were relegated. That'll help. Yep. They've already been hit with one-point deduction this season with three suspended that were eventually added on. So they've had three points deductions in the last two and a half seasons. Uh, they're 21st in League One at the moment. This all boiled over during the weekend's game against Port Vale uh, at home. The Reading fans stormed the pitch on the 60th minute uh, in protest of his ownership and to really try and send a message that they're not going to let their club die. Extremely grim situation, this one. Extremely grim. I don't know how we end up in a place where, I do know how, but like we just end up in a place where people can own football clubs and virtually treat them as a toy and do what they want with them. When this is like people's, people's livelihoods and stuff and, you know, we like we live for like going to Adelaide games on the weekend. Like as cheesy as mm. that might sound, it's like, you know, that's your thing. You get you get through the work week. Yeah. Adelaide home game this week. People over there, yeah. Reading home game this week. Let's go. Let's get down there, watch the team. That's that's their thing. And it gets taken away or just messed around with by these dickheads with too much money that think they can do what they like. Yeah. They treat it like a real estate prospect and you know, he's got form for it. That is the sad part as a community aspect that you lose out on um, for these poor running guys. I wonder how that and- works. Sorry. I just, I wonder how that works there because he's, they share that ground um, with 
There's a rugby, rugby team. There's a rugby union club there called London mm. Irish, but I don't imagine they're bringing much money in and they would just simply find another ground in London to play out, I guess. But, but yeah. yeah. You would think so. Um, it's just another situation along the line of EFL clubs that are succumbing to like the really harsh financial realities of trying to be a football team slash selling out to entities that don't have your best interests at heart. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Um, I don't know if you bring a whole heap here, Tommy, but you definitely love bringing us a story about a fucked up owner, don't you? <laughs> Every few weeks we get a new tale about what was the one that was tweeting weird shit about, you know, he doesn't care about his fans and he just tweeted it and stuff like that. Somewhere <laughs> in the lower leagues. Fucked. Yeah, told him to get told his fans to get fucked. Oh, I love it. At least he was right. honest. Honesty policy. Let's go with it. All right, stick around. We're going to record a Red Edition in a sec, so that'll be in your feeds after you've heard this one. Um, go around. Check us out on social media. We've got the Twitter going or X, Insta, Facebook. Get around it. Share the pod. Tell your mates. Uh, go football. Go football? Yeah, go football. Yeah, go football. <laughs>